Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Welcome warriors. Tonight, our selection is from the book, The Greatest Minds and Ideas of All Time by William Durant. Tonight, we will be going through chapter two, The 10 Greatest Thinkers. Durant lays out for you the accomplishments of 10 of the world's greatest masters and intellectual heroes that have permanently changed the way mankind thinks. Tonight, you will hear the heroic mental accomplishments of four of the 10 greatest minds, Copernicus, Confucius, Sir Isaac Newton, and Aristotle. These are the warriors who hunted for truth that laid the foundations of knowledge, wisdom, and intellectual pursuit to survive the ages. These great thinkers have given us the mathematics we use every day, the understanding of the stars, entire branches of science, philosophy, ways to organize society, and the theory behind the technology that powers our world today. In addition to what they've created, these giants of the mind stand as a testament and example of the warrior path. Heroes like Copernicus, who discovered that the Earth revolves around the Sun instead of the Earth being the center of the universe, as the Catholic Pope's establishment taught. He refused to deny his observations in the face of persecution. And you walk the warrior path, which calls you to master not only your surroundings, but yourself. Because you are a warrior, you build your body to be strong and skillful. Your heart is practicing courage and growing in honor and integrity every day. But what about your mind? Today's culture is heavily mental and everything wishes to distract you. Social media, TV, internet, just spacing out or imagining things that could go wrong instead of being present and making things go right. And how do you know that your thoughts actually came from you in the first place and weren't just something somebody else said once upon a time? The mind, for many, can be a deadly beast or a wild forest calling out for the courageous warrior to master it and become transformed. Maybe you've got physical strength in spades and you outlift your gym buddies, or you have trained in jujitsu or rugby and you're a physical force to be reckoned with. So your call to adventure 
might be to step out of your element and seek understanding in a new intellectual world where you must subdue and master your thoughts, conquer the tough problems, and embrace the challenges required of any hero to ascend to your rightful place as master of your body, heart, and mind. The elements of a hero are written across every aspect of your being. Strength in your muscles and power to focus. Honor in your heart and actions. Courage in your limbs to move your attack. And mastery in your emotional understanding of yourself. And mastery over your mind. The great mythic heroes of legend from times that have since turned to dust continue to live on through us today. Their stories and achievements echo through the ages in our hearts and minds, and the paths they carved still guide us to do the same. So tonight you will hear the stories of the greatest feats of strength from the greatest warriors on the mental field of battle. So as you prepare for the rest that you deserve, and let go of the day's wins and losses, Allow the legacy of these heroes to inspire your inner warrior to continue the path to greatness and to continue to sharpen your mind into the weapon of a great warrior. So relax and enjoy. What is thought? It baffles description because it includes everything through which it might be defined. It is the most immediate fact that we know, and the last mystery of our being. All other things come to us as it forms, and all human achievements find in it their source and their goal. Its appearance is the great turning point in the drama of evolution. When did the miracle begin? Perhaps when the great surges of ice came down relentlessly from the pole, chilling the air, destroying vegetation almost everywhere, eliminating countless species of helpless and unadaptable animals, and pushing a few survivors into a narrow tropical belt, where for generations they clung to the equator, waiting for the wrath of the north to melt. Probably, it was in those critical days, when all the old wanted ways of life were nullified by the invading ice, and inherited or traditional patterns of behavior found no success in an environment where everything was altered, that animals with comparatively complete but inflexible instinctive equipment were weeded out because they did not change within to meet the change outside. While the animal we call man dowered with a precarious plasticity, learned and rose to an unquestioned supremacy over all the species of the forest and field. It was on some such life and death emergency as this, presumably, that human reasoning began. While powerful organisms like the mammoth and mastodon that prowled about hitherto supreme, succumbed to the icy change, and they shivered and passed away, while man, puny man, remained. Thought and invention began. The bewilderment of baffled instinct begot the first timid hypothesis, 
the first tentative putting together of two and two, the first generalizations, the first painful studies of similarities of quality and regularities of sequence, the first adaptation of things learned to situations so novel that reactions instinctive and immediate broke down in utter failure. From that obscure age to our own place and time in history of civilization has been the adventure of human reason. At every step on the stairway of progress, it was thought that lifted us, slowly and tentatively, to a larger power and a higher life. If ideas do not determine history, inventions do. And inventions are determined by ideas. Certainly, it is desire, the restlessness of our insatiable wants, that agitates us into thinking. But however motivated or inspired, it is thought that finds a way. There is no doubt that at the beginning and summit of every age, some heroic genius stands. The voice and index of his time, the inheritor and interpreter of the past, the guide and pioneer into the future. If we could find in each epoch of unfolding civilization the representative and dominating figure in its thought, we should have a living panorama of our history. But as we face the task of selecting these persons of the drama, about who the play revolves, a dozen difficulties daunt us. What shall be our test of greatness? How, in the roster of human genius, shall we know whom to omit and whom to name? The Criteria Well, we shall be ruthless and dogmatic here. And though it break our hearts, we shall admit no hero to our list whose thought, however subtle or profound, has not had an enduring influence upon mankind. This must be our supreme test. We shall try to take account of the originality and scope, the veracity and depth of each thinker's thought. But what we must bear in mind, above all, is the extent and persistence of his influence upon the lives and minds of men. We shall seek for those men who, by their thinking, rather than by their action or their passion, have most influenced mankind. We shall search for them in the quiet places of the world, far from the maddening crowd, in those obscure corners where great thoughts came to them, as on doves' feet, and where for a moment they saw, as in a transfiguration, the countenance of truth. Who then shall be first? Number one, Confucius. At once our doubts and quarrels begin. By what canon shall we include Confucius and omit Buddha and Christ? By this alone, that he was a moral philosopher rather than a preacher of a religious faith. That his call to the noble life was based upon secular motives rather than upon supernatural considerations. That he far more resembles Socrates than Jesus. Born in 552 BC, in an age of confusion, in which the old power and glory of China had passed into feudal disintegration and fractional strife, 
Kung Fu Tse undertook to restore health and order to his country. How? Let him speak. The illustrious ancients, when they wished to make clear and propagate the highest virtues in the world, put their states in proper order. Before putting their states in proper order, they regulated their families. Before regulating their families, they cultivated their own selves. Before cultivating their own selves, they perfected their souls. Before perfecting their souls, they tried to be sincere in their thoughts. Before trying to be sincere in their thoughts, they extended to the utmost their knowledge. Such investigation of knowledge lay in the investigation of things, and in seeing them as they really were. When things were thus investigated, knowledge became complete. When knowledge was complete, their thoughts became sincere. When their thoughts were sincere, their souls became perfect. When their souls were perfect, their own self became cultivated. When their selves were cultivated, their families became regulated. When their families were regulated, their states came to be put into proper order. When their states were in proper order, then the whole world became peaceful and happy. Now here is a sound moral and political philosophy within the compass of a paragraph. It was a highly conservative system. It exalted manners and etiquette and scorned democracy. And despite its clear enunciation of the golden rule, it was nearer to Stoicism than Christianity. A pupil, having asked Confucius, should one return good for evil? Confucius replied, with what then will you recompense kindness? Return good for good and evil, justice. He did not believe that all men were equal. It seemed to him that intelligence was not a universal gift. As his pupil Mencius put it, that whereby a man differs from the lower animals is little. Most people throw it away. The greatest fortune of a people would be to keep ignorant persons from public office and secure the wisest men to rule them. A great city, Chung Tu, took him at his word and made him magistrate. A marvelous reformation, we are told, ensued in the manners of the people. There was an end of crime, dishonesty, and dissoluteness hid their heads Loyalty and good faith became the characteristic of men, chastity and docility of the women. It is too good to be true, and probably it did not last very long. But even in his lifetime, Confucius's followers understood his greatness and foresaw the timeless influence he was to have in molding the courtesy and poise and placid wisdom of the Chinese. His disciples buried him with a great pomp. A multitude of them built huts near his grave and remained there, mourning as for a father, for nearly three years. When all the others were gone, Tse Kung, who had loved him beyond the rest, continued by the grave for three years more, alone. And now we're faced with new problems. Whole civilizations confront us in which we can find no dominating name, 
no powerful secular personality voicing and forming his people with thought. It is so in India and among the Jews and among the nomad races of Asia Minor's Fertile Crescent. We have a Buddha, an Isaiah, a Jesus, and a Mohammed. But we have no world scientist, no world philosopher. And in another case, perhaps the most lasting and marvelous civilization the world has ever known, we have a hundred pharaohs and innumerable relics of a varied art. But no name stands out as that of one who brought the past into perspective of wisdom and stamped his influence upon the intellectual development of his nation. We have to pass respectfully by these peoples and these centuries and consider the glory of Greece, which takes us to our intellectual hero number three, Aristotle. All the world would agree that Aristotle must be on our list. The Middle Ages called him the philosopher, as if to say that he embodied the type at the summit of its perfection. It is not that we love him. The text he has left beyond expounds so monotonously a passionless moderation that after feeling the radiance of Plato, we freeze at the touch of his tempered mind. But it is unfair to rate him by his books. We know now that they were but hasty notes made sometimes by himself, sometimes by his students, for the guidance or remembrance of his lectures. It would be absurd to judge him by comparing these technical fragments with vivid dialogues through which Plato won for the first time. A public audience for philosophy. But we shall find ourselves in the presence of an intellect of almost unbelievable depth and range. Here is a circumnavigation of the globe, which as no mind has accomplished since. Here, every problem in science and philosophy has its consideration, its illumination, and a defensible solution. Here, knowledge is brought together as if through a thousand spies and coordinated into a united vision of the world. Here the phraseology of philosophy is born, and today is hardly possible to think without using the mintage of Aristotle's brain. Here is wisdom, calm, temperate, and well-nigh complete, as of a limitless intelligence, majestically overspreading life. Here are new sciences, founded with almost casual ease. It is here that biology appears, and embryology, and logic. Not that no man had ever thought of these matters before, but that none had controlled his thinking with patient observation, careful experiment, and systematic formulation of results. Barring astronomy and medicine, the history of science begins with the encyclopedic labors of the tireless man. Confucius alone has had as great an influence. At Alexandria and the Imperial Rome, the work of Aristotle became the foundation of advancing science. In the 13th century, his philosophical writings, which were brought by the invading Moors and reawakened Europe, played a fertilizing role in the development of scholastic philosophy. Later, 
Constantinople brought the last lost treasures of his thought to the eager students of the Renaissance. This quiet sovereignty of one man spanned over a millennium of intellectual history. We shall not find again in this tour of the world upon which we are engaged another name that so long inspired and enthralled the minds of men. For the next intellectual hero, we have Copernicus. And then came a voice out of Poland, saying that this is Earth, footstool of God and home of his redeeming pilgrimage, was a minor satellite of a minor sun. It seems so simple a thing to say. We cannot be moved to fear or wonder by it now. We take it for granted that the soil on which we stand is a passing thing, transiently compact of elements that will disintegrate and leave not a rack behind. But to the medieval world, whose whole philosophy had rested on the neighborly nearness of the earth and God, on the constant moral solicitude of the deity for man, this new astronomy was an atheistic blasphemy, a ruthless blow that seemed to overthrow the Jacob's Ladder which faith had built between angels and men. Copernicus's book on the revolutions of the celestial orbs was well named, for no book in history has created a greater revolution. That pious Polish monk, sitting patiently before the baffling stars, had meant no harm. He had no suspicion of the bearings of his thought on the future of belief. He had lost himself in the search for knowledge. He was sure that all truth must be good and beautiful and would make men free. And so, by the magic of his mathematics, he transformed a geocentric and anthropocentric universe a world that revolved about the earth and man into a kaleidoscope of planets and stars in which the earth seemed but a moment's precipitation of a floating nebula. Everything was changed. Distances, significances, destinies, and God, who had been closer than hands and feet, who had seemed to inhabit the friendly and flowing clouds, disappeared into the far reaches of an illimitable space. It was as if the walls of man's house had been torn down by some blind and angry wind, leaving him unsheltered in the darkness of infinity. We do not know how profound a thinker Copernicus was, except through his immeasurable influence of his work. With him, modernity begins. With him, secularism begins. With him, reason makes its French revolution against a faith immemorially enthroned. And man commences his long effort to rebuild with immemorality enthroned. And man commences his long effort to rebuild with thought the shattered palaces of his dreams. Heaven becomes mere sky and space and nothingness, or it descends upon the earth and breeds visions of utopia in the hungry hearts of men who once had hoped for paradise. It was in the fable Plato told 
of the gods who had cared for man till he had come of age, and then had disappeared, leaving him to the devices of his own intelligence. It was as in the ancient savage days, when the old man of the tribe drove the young men forth and bade them seek some other soil, and raise it upon their own homes and their own happiness. With the Copernican Revolution, man was compelled to become of age. Much further along in time, we are brought to number seven of our intellectual heroes, Sir Isaac Newton. From that day to ours, the history of the European intellect has been predominantly the progress of the Baconian as against the medieval conception of the world. Predominantly, but not continuously, there are many great figures that stood aside from this main road. In Descartes, the new struggles in the arms of the old, and never quite liberates itself. And the great unifying soul of Leibniz, the medieval tradition is still power enough to turn a mathematician into a precarious theologian. And in Immanuel Kant, the voice of ancestral faith speaks amid the skepticism of the Enlightenment. Strangely, bridging these two streams of thought, the scientific and religious, stands the figure of Spinoza, a polisher of lenses, and God-intoxicated man, silent devotee of lonely speculation, and formulator of the metaphysics of modern science, lover of mechanics and geometry, and martyr equally with Bruno to philosophy. Dying only a slower and more obscure death, every profound mind after him has felt his power, every historian has attested the quiet depth of his wisdom. But we have bound ourselves to judge these heroes of the mind in objective terms of influence, rather than by personal estimates of wisdom. And even a lover of Spinoza must confess that the healing touch of the gentle philosopher has fallen upon the rarer and loftier souls rather than upon the masses or even the classes of mankind. He belongs to the islanded aristocracy of thought, and the world has not mounted to him yet. But Sir Isaac Newton, there can be no similar dispute. Every schoolboy knows the story of his absent-minded genius, how the great scientist left for a moment to his own culinary wits, and told to boil an egg three minutes for his lunch, dropped his watch into the water and watched the egg while the timepiece boiled, or how the absorbed mathematician, going up to his room to change his clothes for dinner, undressed and went contentedly to bed. It would be sad if these delightful stories were not true. Not so many schoolboys know that Newton's Principia marked the quiet assumption by science of its now unchallenged mastery over modern thought, that the laws of motion and mechanics as established by Newton became the basis of all later practical advance of that reordered surface of the earth and that extended intenser life, which are the miracles of science in our day. The discovery of gravitation illuminated the whole world of astronomy and brought the bright confusion of the stars into an almost organic unity. Not long ago, said Voltaire, a distinguished company, 
were discussing the trite and frivolous question. Who was the greatest man? Caesar, Alexander, Tamerlane, or Cornwall? Someone answered that without doubt it was Isaac Newton. And rightly so. For it is to him who masters our minds by the force of truth, and not to those who enslave them by violence, that we owe our reverence. Even in his lifetime, the world understood that Newton belonged to its heroes.